July 22nd, 2001 is an important date that I have written on the first page of my Bible. This was the day I was baptized into Christ. This was the day that my life changed forever. For about two years leading up to this date, I was just another kid who had a lot of questions. In fact, my curiosity led me to start attending the youth group at a church called New Church on the north side of Oklahoma City. Throughout the week, I spent a lot of time with my friends at school and with the kids who lived in my neighborhood, but I found myself conflicted about a lot of things they were doing and about some of the things they were into. I had a great home life growing up. My parents were very supportive. They were always there when I needed them. But between the time I spent at school, with friends and at home, I felt like there was something missing in my life. When I went to youth group each week, I felt a sense of peace and purpose. There was a youth band who sang songs about a person named Jesus, someone I knew very little about at the time. There was a youth minister who would open up his Bible and he would teach us about Jesus. And there were several adult volunteers who actually gave up their Wednesday evenings to come and hang out with a bunch of crazy kids. When I observed their life, you know, they lived like this Jesus person I was hearing so much about. Each week when I showed up, I had a lot of fun and learned a little more about Jesus. I would leave thinking about the lesson that was taught, wondering what this whole Christianity and church thing was all about. I was even encouraged to open up my own Bible at home and read about Jesus for myself. Several adults encouraged me to ask questions. In fact, over the years, I've told people that if you attend a church where you're not allowed to ask questions, you're probably in the wrong church. Uh, The older kids in the youth group who were Christians, they didn't look down on me because I was younger. My parents faithfully dropped me off at the church each week, and God was stirring something in my heart. During the summer of 2001, I attended church camp for the second or third summer in a row, but that summer was different. That was the summer when God got a hold of me in a way that changed my life and changed my eternity. The summer of 2001 is when I first believed the good news about Jesus, repented of my sin, confessed my belief publicly, and I was baptized into Christ. Right next to this important date in my Bible is Psalm 119, verse 105, which says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. This verse wasn't always true about my life. Before I was a Christian, I was going down a different path than what God wanted for me. My eternity was a different destination than what God wanted for me. In fact, according to God's word, I was lost and dead in my sin. The Apostle Paul describes this reality in this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He wrote, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. It would have been really easy for the adult volunteers at New Church to tell all the kids that we were basically good people, that we just needed to focus on making good choices, and that coming to church was really only about spending time with our friends, hearing good music, and having fun. But thankfully, that's not the message they taught us. I mean, sure, we enjoyed hanging out with our friends. The music was great, and we had a lot of fun. But we were also taught the truths about who Jesus is and how we desperately need him in our lives. 
According to Ephesians 2, I was once spiritually dead because of the sin in my life. I used to live in sin like those who don't know Jesus, obeying the devil. I used to live in a way that followed the desires and inclinations of my sinful nature. The Bible says we all used to live that way. And I understand this is never a comfortable topic, but it's important that we learn what God's word says about our human condition and about the life of the person who doesn't know Jesus. According to scripture, people who are spiritual seekers, so those who are curious about Jesus, along with all non-believers, are not simply nice people who need a little more church in their life. They're spiritually dead people who are incapable of knowing God through their own efforts. From this passage alone, we learn that they're following the ways of the world and obeying the devil. When we look to other books in the New Testament, like Romans, we learn that they're hostile towards God. That's Romans 8, 7. They're enemies of God, according to Romans 5, 10. And they can do nothing to please God, no matter how hard they try. That's Romans 8, 8. When you look at the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verse 15, we're reminded that outside of saving faith in Jesus, a person is destined to an eternity apart from God. My friends, I wish verses like these didn't exist. But this is the sad reality of the person who doesn't know Jesus. And while truths like this can hurt, especially if you have someone in your life that you love and they're not a Christian, um, they also bring hope and healing. You see, Ephesians 2 begins by reminding us about the reality of our spiritual condition outside of Christ. But it continues by reminding us about what God has done for us. I love these two verses. Paul writes in Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5, he said, But God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. In his book, Four Chair Discipling, author Dan Spader wrote, The journey of becoming a true disciple begins with an honest appreciation of our life without Christ. We were dead lost, alone, unable to save ourselves. I have July 22nd, 2001, written down in my Bible because it serves as a reminder about what God has done for me through Christ and about what he's able to do in the lives of others. Because of Christ's work on the cross, God can reverse the human condition. It was the late Howard Hendricks. He was a longtime professor at Dallas Theological Seminary who explained this truth in one of his last sermons. He said, The amazing thing, my friend, is not that you die, but the amazing thing is that you live. We think we're in the land of the living, on the way to the land of dying. My friend, nothing could be further from the biblical truth. You and I are in the land of dying and on our way to the land of the living. How awesome is that? You know, for those who have placed their faith in Jesus, this statement is a reminder of the hope that we have in our God. So today, as we continue our series, Get Used to Different, I'd like to focus in on the first challenge that Jesus gave to his disciples, the challenge to come and see, to just show up. Last week, we talked about the four challenges that Jesus gave to his disciples. Come and see, follow me, fish for people, and go and bear fruit. These challenges help us understand how Jesus developed his early disciples uh, from being new believers, so they were spiritual infants and children at one time, 
to mature believers, spiritually mature adults. When Jesus gave this first challenge to come and see, he was inviting spiritual seekers, those who were curious, to just show up. When a person responds to this challenge, they're taking the first step towards Jesus. They're spiritually lost and dead in their sin, as Paul wrote about in Ephesians 2, but they're curious to learn more. Throughout his life and ministry, Jesus demonstrated perfectly how to engage the lost, challenging them to take the first step. Here's how he was intentional about engaging the lost. Number one, if you're taking notes, Jesus left the comforts of his heavenly home to come to ours. For this truth, I'd like for us to read from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, as well as verses 10 through 14. And this is what we read. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. So John is writing about Jesus. He's writing about the Messiah. And then we continue in verse 10. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or pain, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Jesus left the comforts of his heavenly home to come to ours. God became human and made his home among us. Jesus became like us. He was able to understand and identify with our joys, our pain, and even our sorrows. God's word tells us that he became like us in every way, except he didn't sin. He lived a perfect, sinless life. Jesus left his throne in heaven and was born as a baby in a manger. Matthew chapter 20 verse 28 tells us that he came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. When Jesus was an adult, many of the religious leaders and Pharisees called him a friend of sinners. That's how they referred to him. This reminds me that God's love always takes the initiative. When we were lost and spiritually dead because of our sin, Jesus made a way for us to be reconciled to God. He came to a broken and hurting people to be our hope and our salvation. He left the comforts of his heavenly home to come to ours. That's one way that Jesus engages the lost. Number two, Jesus learned how to minister to the people he came to save. Luke chapter 2, verse 52, a very important verse, says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. So from a very early age, we know this verse is talking about Jesus when he was 12 years old. So from an early age until he began his ministry around the age of 30, he spent his time studying God's word, applying God's word to his daily life, growing in his relationship with his heavenly father, and preparing himself to minister to a people who would largely reject him. 
We don't have a lot of information about Jesus' life as a teenager or a young adult, but we know that he learned, matured, and was intentional about modeling the life that God wants all of us to live at every age and stage. When he gave that first challenge to his disciples to come and see He was inviting others to observe how he lived, to come and see how he was obedient to his heavenly father and how he learned to minister to others. So Jesus learned how to minister to the very people he came to save. He was intentional about this. Point number three, Jesus was interruptible and prioritized relationships. John chapter one, verse 39. This is a verse that we read last week, but I want to talk about it a little more. This is Jesus giving that first challenge to come and see uh, to Andrew and John. So Jesus says, come and see. And then the Bible tells us it was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. And I want to draw your attention to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. We're going to look at verses 13 through 15 as well as verse 27. Um, This is Jesus appearing to two of his followers on the road to Emmaus uh, shortly after the resurrection. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. Now, if you read the verses in between verse 15 and 27, you learn that God actually caused them not to be able to recognize Jesus. Um, They were scared. They were worried. They were talking about everything that had happened regarding the resurrection. And then here, the resurrected Jesus appears to them. Verse 27, Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. How long do you think this must have taken? Jesus took them through the writings of Moses. Friends, that's the first five books of the Bible. It says he walked them through all the writings of the prophets. That's basically the rest of the Old Testament. He explained how all of God's word points back to him. He took all the time that was needed to listen, answer questions, explain God's word, and to build relationship. Don't misunderstand this passage. Jesus was on mission. He never deviated from that mission. But he was interruptible. Because being interruptible provides an opportunity for God to bring people together. He prioritized relationships because relationship is what it's all about. You know, the most important thing in life, the deepest thing, is to love God and love people. It doesn't get any deeper than that. And friends, that's what relationship is. It's loving God, loving people. Jesus spent hours with Andrew and John In John chapter 1, he spent a few days in Capernaum with his disciples and his family, answering questions about some of the things they'd seen him do. And that was in John chapter 2. He met with a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus, who was a spiritual seeker. He met with him in the middle of the night to answer some of the questions that he had and to explain that a person must be born again if they're going to enter the kingdom of God. And that's in John chapter 3. So in the Gospel of John, Within the first three chapters, we see Jesus being interruptible. We see him prioritizing relationships, especially when it came to those who were curious about who he was. Part of being on mission was being available to invest in the lives of others. Jesus was interruptible. He prioritized relationships. That leads us to point number four. Jesus challenged seekers to repent and believe. Like his second cousin, John the Baptist, uh, who prepared the way for him. 
Jesus preached a simple message. We first see this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. It says, From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This was the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, and this remained his message throughout his life. He knew that his listeners were lost, that they were spiritually dead in their sin, and that unless one is born again, he or she will never be able to enter the kingdom of God. Explaining this truth, Dan Spader wrote that spiritually dead people cannot see or walk. They need the life that comes from above. That life comes through repentance and belief. And Jesus boldly proclaimed that message. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says, This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Friends, Jesus came into a broken world to save sinners. And God's goal for our lives once we're saved, according to Ephesians 4.13, is that we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. What does this mean? The goal is that we would attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, that we would grow in Christian maturity. We would learn from Jesus to live like Jesus. Whether an individual has never heard the good news about Jesus or has responded to the first challenge to come and see, you know, they're responding in curiosity, they have a lot of needs. Jesus modeled for us how we can meet those needs. Remember what Jesus said in John 20, verse 21. He said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you are Christ's ambassador. You're his representative to the rest of the world. As we learn about how Jesus was intentional, about how he engaged the lost, There are some important questions that we need to answer today, as well as some action steps that we can take. Jesus left the comforts of his heavenly home to come to ours. He took the initiative. He made the first move. A couple of important questions. Are we willing to leave behind what's comfortable in order to reach the lost? And two, are we willing to do anything short of sin to meet people where they're at so they have an opportunity to hear the gospel? Friends, these are important questions. We need to be able to answer these individually and as a church family. Jesus learned how to minister to the people he came to save. The Bible says he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. So a couple of questions for us. Are we making an effort to grow in our understanding and application of God's word? And are we learning more about the culture that we live in so that we can be effective in our witness to others? I want to remind you about the website roomfordoubt.com. This is a website that our partner Bible College, Lincoln Christian University, put together. Uh, It's a great resource um, that helps address common questions that people have about Christianity. It helps equip Christians uh, to learn how to effectively share their faith. So I want to encourage you to visit that website this week, roomfordoubt.com. You know, when it comes to learning more about the culture we live in so that we can be effective in our witness for Christ, um, we have to take the time to learn. We have to take the time to study and apply what we learn. Jesus was interruptible, and he prioritized relationships. He always stayed on mission, but that meant making himself available to invest in the lives of others. So a couple of questions for us. Do you have friends who are non-believers? You know, Jesus was referred to 
as a friend of sinners. And if we're going to learn from Jesus to live like Jesus, we need friends who are non-believers. We need people who aren't Christians that we can influence and impact with the gospel. And in the busyness of life, are you interruptible? Do you prioritize relationships? You know, I like to think of uh, being interruptible as divine interruptions. You know, if I'm busy at work, if I'm doing something that's taking a lot of time and someone knocks on my door or they call and they, they need help, I like to look at that as a divine interruption, not a burden. That's an opportunity for relationship. So our answer to these questions will reveal a lot about our priorities. Jesus challenged seekers to repent and believe. You know, from the beginning of his earthly ministry until he ascended into heaven, his message was simple. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. I love this quote from the late Ravi Zacharias. He said, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. There was always a sense of urgency to his ministry, and he's commanded us to live with this same kind of urgency. So a couple of questions. Do we truly believe that salvation is only found in Jesus? And if we do, what are we going to do with that information? You know, are you willing to boldly share the good news about Jesus with the people who are in your circle of influence? I understand there's a lot of information here, and that some of these questions can be scary, but I'm also reminded about what Dan Spader said, that the journey of becoming a true disciple begins with an honest appreciation of our life without Christ. We were dead, lost, alone, unable to save ourselves. Friends, when we really know and understand where we've been and where God's brought us, we won't be able to keep Jesus to ourselves. I want to encourage you to talk about these things in your growth group or in your Sunday school class this week. Share resources and ideas for how we can be more effective at reaching the lost. They need Christian friends who can be a listening ear. They need answers to some of the questions they have about Jesus and about the church. And more than anything, they need the gospel. They need Jesus. Let's look for opportunities to step outside of our comfort zone this week. Let's meet others where they're at. Let's dig into God's word more. You know, be intentional about growing in God's wisdom, not the world's. Be interruptible if the opportunity presents itself and prioritize relationships and look for those opportunities to share Jesus with others. I think one of the best ways that you can do this is by sharing part of your story. And you can do that by answering three simple questions. What was your life like before you knew Jesus? What was your experience like when you decided to believe and follow Jesus? And how is God working in your life right now? If you can answer those three questions, you can be effective at sharing Jesus with others. You can share part of your story. Our God is a missional God. He always makes the first move, and he's called his church to be a missional church. We want to invite people to the church and into a saving relationship with Jesus.